Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. This episode is all about enrichment, what it is, why it's important, and how you can use it to give your pet their best life. Joining us is Steve Dale, certified animal behavior consultant and world-renowned host of two nationally syndicated pet radio shows, author of a multitude of educational pet books, and longtime champion and friend of Fear Free. Well, Steve, it's such a pleasure to have you here. We have been friends for so many years and definitely it is turning the tables today. You've always been such an excellent interviewer for so many years and we've had so many great conversations and today I get to interview you. So super excited about it. How, how do you feel to be on the other side of it? Terrified, but, <laughs> but that's okay. What's well, gonna be very fear-free, so, so don't worry. Well, <laughs> you won't you won't lose any prong collars out. <laughs> no, no, only only clicks and treats. What what are the treats going to be? Gosh, uh, are you a words of affirmation guy? Could I use uh, you know compliments? What does that mean? Oh sure. Words, oh, have you never done the, the five love languages? I don't even know Spanish well. Oh my gosh, no. Steve, I can finally teach you something. You're always teaching me everything. Uh, so everybody has like a certain way that they most receive love. And I actually think in some ways it actually applies to pets as well. Pets have certain ways that they are better about receiving love. Like we think about petting our, our dog or our cat and we think, oh, they, they should enjoy this because it's giving them love. However, not all pets enjoy being pet. And so for people, it's about figuring out how they actually best receive love. And so the five different ways are words of affirmation, physical touch, uh, quality time, acts of service, and gifts. And so to give you an example, I'm a words of affirmation person and also quality time. So most people will have like one or two that really stand out for them. And my dad is an acts of service guy. So if he ever asks for a favor, I pretty much try and, and do it because that's, uh, that for him, that's really how he feels loved and receives love. And my really? daughter is a gifts person. So, and, and for the people that love gifts, it's like, it doesn't have to be like, like that they're receiving, you know, hundred dollar gifts at each time, but like just little trinkets, just little things that let them know that you're thinking about them. And, yeah, so it's it's pretty cool, like to well, hundred hundred dollars doesn't even fill up the tank of gas now. No, but it doesn't. I get happen. the idea, and I I don't know. I um, so I answered right for your dad more than once, where he would say, "Can hey buddy, can you do me a favor?" And he doesn't even tell me what it is, <laughs> and because of him, I say yes. So mm -hmm. even before he tells me, so that's something I I take it by what you just said that he likes. Yes, definitely. And, and you've been really good about like just encouraging me along the way. So you've been so good about my words of affirmation. So without even knowing you're, what you're doing, you're already a pro. You're, you're already, you're totally correct. I generally have no idea what I'm doing. So you would be right. 
Well, well, Steve, I do know that you know what you're doing when it comes to enrichment with pets. And that's what we're talking about today is all about enrichment. So tell me, like, how, how did this become a passion of yours? So years ago, uh, I worked at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. And I was able to see how the animals there were more enriched, I would argue, than our dogs and cats at home. Uh, and I would ask about it. And they even had, and now most major zoos have a person on staff who does nothing. Their entire job is to enrich environments for the animals. So they do a lot. When I say they do nothing, I meant nothing, but that's all they do. That's amazing. And at home, yeah. And the other thing that occurred to me is if, uh, trainers can train, and they can, a Siberian tiger to have voluntarily put a paw through the cage safely and have the nails clipped. And we can't do that with our little kitty cats. Come on. You know, so I instantly saw something in this notion of enrichment. And I began to talk about it at veterinary conferences years ago. And, and I would have to explain, at that time, enrichment is, and I'd have like four slides with definitions and citations of what enrichment is. Today, the good news is it's one slide, just to kind of review what it is for people who don't know, uh, because I think increasingly people do know what it is. How would you describe enrichment for someone that, that maybe is like trying to grasp what it means and what it means for their pet? Manipulating the environment to suit animals' normal behavior or encouraging animals' behavior to match the environment. That's a definition I like because it's one I wrote in a book that I wrote. Uh, but other uh, definitions are very similar to that. It's the notion of here's what an animal, including dogs and cats, here's what they were born to do. So give that animal an opportunity even in a captive environment, to do it. Our homes aren't really captive environments, but they are controlled environments. I mean, even for people that let their cats out, even then the cat has somewhat of a limitation based on what that cat wants as to where the cat goes. Uh, so dogs and cats do live, and I hope that cat lives indoors anyway, which is a whole different topic. But. Uh, my, I, they, they, we do have controlled environments for them. So let's control it to the benefit of the animal. And without enrichment, there's a cost to pay. Absolutely. You know, one thing I, uh, that came up for me as you were talking about enrichment and what, it, and what it means is I was thinking back to a conversation I had with Dr. Gary Landsberg, who's a veterinary behaviorist, I know friend to both of us and a big part of Fear Free. And he was saying how domesticated dog life and cat life is really a lot about learning frustration tolerance. And, you know, whether that's like out in a walk with the dog and the dog wants to go greet another dog or they want to go sniff that smell that's across the street or they see a squirrel and they can't go just running up to it to go, you know, go get it or to go investigate. You know, a lot of, of life is that frustration tolerance, or as you were mentioning with cats, you know, um, I was fostering a cat here 
that was a little stray named Milo and found him an amazing home. But he wanted to be an outdoor cat. Like he, you know, he had been living outdoors for months. And so I was taking him into our home and, and enriching it and making it to where it was all catified and, and fun for him and made it that great environment. But it, it was that, that part of frustration tolerance for him and, and for his own good, because unfortunately, you know, when you do have the, the kitties that go outdoors, you have so many hazards that they can get into. And I live right by a busy street. I'm like, there's just no way I could, I could let him out in good faith that he would come back. And so, you know, for, for me, the enrichment was about being able to tamper that frustration and being able to give him a better life. But how do you think that frustration might tie into enrichment and how that improves a pet's life? Well, there are so many ways that we don't even think about that we can enrich our dog and cat's lives. And, and one example that comes to mind for dogs, for example, uh, is so many uh, just let the dog or dogs out in the backyard. We don't interact with the dog. If there are two dogs, yeah, they may play together, but they're with each other all the time. So in a sense, they kind of are bored with each other because they're together 24-7. I mean, they don't do anything different outside than they do indoors. Or maybe they'll run around the yard a couple of times. Maybe that dog or dogs, oh, the squirrel's been here. So they're going to run around and check that out. But by and large, a backyard's not a babysitter. And dogs get into big trouble in backyards by jumping over fences, digging under fences, digging in the rose bushes, barking at the fence, which can cause territorial aggression in a dog that wasn't even previously aggressive at all. So you're creating a problem. So instead, what I say, this is, a, this is an amazing idea. Yes, it's a big breakthrough. Take your dog for a walk. You know, but so many people don't because it's easier to let the dog out in the yard. Never mind the concerns I have, you know, in extreme weather and very hot weather. So, so is, is the dog, dog going to have enough water uh, that isn't frozen where I live in the winter? Or, or is the dog going to be in too hot of a situation in many, many places in the country in the summer? All of those are welfare issues as well on top of everything else. Taking your dog for a walk, it seems so simple. It is so simple. Uh, it's a great way to socialize if you happen to get the dog as a young dog. Uh, it, there's so many advantages to it. It's a great way for people to socialize. I know so many people who have met other people they never would have met in their own neighborhood just by taking the dog for a walk. But what I'm getting at is the enrichment here. So the dog, now here's how I don't want you to take your dog for a walk. I don't want you to do, and it's, I suppose, beautiful to watch. I think it's kind of boring. American Kennel Club obedience. And they're walking around, and the dog is right at your side, just perfectly healing and going, oh, step by step by step by step by step. You must not stop. You must keep going. Oh, the dog has to poop. Okay, I'll stop for just a moment. But then we're back at it like you're a soldier marching. <laughs> That's not good. No. Give the dog an opportunity to literally smell the roses and everything else dogs like to sniff along the way. There's a compromise, you do wanna walk. Good exercise for you, good exercise for the dog. But here is a perfect opportunity. And dogs do seem, incidentally, to associate the excitement of whatever they're smelling in the grass to the other end of the leash. Mm -hmm. So it actually, I believe, enhances the human-animal bond on top of everything else. 
So I, I love I love the way that you describe that. A, a couple things I want to follow up with there. So first of all, what is your feeling when you see someone that, you know, as you're describing that perfect obedience walk, the thing that I see, at least here over in Washington, is I'll see someone who has, has done, it's almost always a coercively trained dog, but like where they're doing the off-leash walk right at the person's side, they can't go anywhere, and uh, the person seems really proud. But in my opinion, I'm like, that dog does not seem very happy. And I, I think there's a lot of human pride within that when you see the dog that's like, okay, I have to be right here, I have to be right here. And there's like that, that definitely like that um, looming thread of what might happen if not. But like, what what is your take on that when you see that? I, I feel the same way, everything you just said. And I'm really concerned about safety. It's enriching for the dog, but it's not safe. And uh, that there are lots of things we could do to enrich a dog's life and still be safe, including what we should be doing that I think people don't think about often, and that is think about the breed. So I think enrichment, and this is not, I do talk about this at times, but most people don't. And that is enrichment might look a little different if you have a beagle compared to if you have a toy poodle compared to if you have a Labrador retriever. So the beagle's nose is everywhere. So maybe allow that beagle to do what beagles were bred to do, and that's fine stuff. Now, any dog can do that, by the way. Even sight hounds, greyhounds, salukis, they can do that because even they still live by their sense of smell. But a beagle really lives by that sense of smell. People say, I cannot train the beagle, the beagle is too stubborn. No, the beagle is not being motivated appropriately using that sense of smell. Isn't it a cool idea to leave different scents in different places around the house just for the beagle to explore? Or reward a beagle, play a game, make it a game. On a rainy day, kids can play too. Here's the specific scent I want you to find. I want you to find my house keys. I mean, you could actually teach a beagle. I, do, I need that. And you could teach a beagle to do that rather surprisingly easily. Again, you could teach any dog to do that. Uh, but a beagle, sure. Labrador retriever, all they want to do is retrieve. So it can actually be enriching to have that dog do what it was bred to do. I mentioned, I think my other example was miniature poodles or toy poodles. Well, they're little circus dogs. That's what they were bred for originally, actually. They were I didn't bred know down. That. Yeah, they were bred down from standard poodles uh, to be performing dogs, if you will. Well, teach them little tricks. And when grandma comes over, she can hold the hula hoop and the poodle can jump through the hoop. Uh, you know, it sounds so simple, but, and it is, but it's fun if you teach the dog to do any of these things the right way. If that tail's not wagging back and forth, it's either because you have a dog without a tail or because the dog isn't, <laughs> having, fun, isn't having fun doing it. And that's really important as well. If your dog's not having fun doing it, you're either teaching inappropriately, the dog's not getting it, or maybe it's just not the right game for that dog. And I think we need to think about the way we feed our dogs and cats as well. Mm. Uh, can you explain more about that? Uh, well, I'll start with cats. Cats are born, if it's a cat, C-A-T, they are born with a prey drive. They can't help it. They got it. That means they go after things. 
And it can be a little feather toy. That's fine. I want people to do that. I want them to take that fishing pole type toy with feathers or fabric at the end and play with the cat laser light, maybe. I am actually concerned a bit about a couple things. First of all, the kids do this and they point the light in their own eyes or in the cat's eyes and we or make the game impossible by the light always being on the ceiling and that can frustrate a cat, but the cat never really catches anything, incidentally. So they catch this little red bug that doesn't exist and they keep hitting it and that, that's gonna be frustrating because they have as many nerves at the end of their paw pads as we have at the end of our paw pads or our hands, as we do up our arms and up to our shoulders combined. They have as many nerves right there that go right to their brain and say, I've caught the fly. Well, they never catch it because they can't. So what I tell people is to drop a treat or a little piece of kibble occasionally on that little red or green light so they've actually caught something. I digress a little bit. So what I'm in favor of hugely is feeding a percent of food, say 20% of the cat's food in different places around the house and put better yet even the food in a treat dispensing object of some kind. There's hundreds on the market right now, which is wonderful. Like a, simply a little ball with a hole in it. Cat rolls around and treats or kibble comes out of there. Teach your cat how to do it. Teach your cat the game. And then you can begin to hide these things in different places around the house. And hopefully, if you do this, you will not do what one person did. So I wrote this years ago in a column. And I then received a few months later, snail oh, mail. I love that. I open it up from Georgia. A reader sends me a bill from an exterminating company because she forgot where she put the food and ants figured out where it was. And she had <laughs> ants in her house. Oh, no. Oh. And the bill was like for $147, and she wanted me to pay for it. But remember, do remember where you put the food so this doesn't happen to you. But I'll tell you, feeding your cat or cats in this manner is good for a whole lot of reasons. It activates the prey drive. Uh, in addition to that, it's some exercise. And our cats and dogs are way under-exercised, way under-exercised. Uh, literally half the dogs in America are overweight or obese. That number is even higher in cats. It's about 60%. So this is at least some exercise, but the most important thing to me is brain exercise. And we do know that changing things up for humans is good. We know that it is for dogs. One can assume it is for cats. So what did I just say? I said changing things up is good, but yet you speak at conferences. And if you ask people in a room, veterinary professionals, uh, or even members of the public, I think, know now, what do cats hate more than a hate more than anything else? It's change. And I'm talking about changing things up. So the change has to be reasonable. But I'll tell you, you keep out the same toys. I know people have spent $4,800,612 at one of the pet stores for, for cat toys. And they say, why doesn't my cat want to play with them anymore? Well, the cats kill them all. They become bored. Half of them aren't even around. They're under the sofa somewhere. You know, so this way, if you just take six or seven toys and rotate them, they become really interesting. And you don't have to spend a lot of money. Uh, we have a kitten. You know what? I'll tell you a little secret. The best toy so far 
for a kitten has been a scrunched up, rolled up piece of paper. So I printed out whatever it is I printed out. I don't need it anymore. Instead of recycling it, then I just scrunch it up and toss it. And our kitten loves that and bats it around the house. It can be a, a bottle cap from a water bottle or a milk carton cap or the milk carton with something in it that makes fun sounds. That can, now we're getting into what you can use for dogs. Those things can be, and hide these things so they become, wow, look what I just found. You know, some people keep their dog toys in the same place all the time. We do, we do that, but we also say, okay, you never know, there's gonna be a toy over there, it might be new, and there's gonna be a toy over there. And we're not spending money. I don't wanna spend people's money. We're not spending, although there are great uh, brain games now for toy, dogs and cats, actually. Uh, the Nina Addison toys, for example. Oh, I love uh, them. Yeah, and you have to move these different blocks around, or let me rephrase that, the dog cats can do it too. The they dog can. or cat has to move the block around to get the treat or something underneath, all those things. They're wonderful, and I think they're great, but you don't have to. You can create your own sorts of toys like that. So first of all, if you have a cat that they have only eaten out of the food bowl, um, perhaps you have, have a, a couple cats in the home, which is pretty common. Most people have more than one cat. Um, what, like, how do you introduce enrichment and changing up the way the cat eats when you have multiple cats and when the cat has only eaten out of the food bowl before? Sure, that's a great question. So what you do is you start with some uh, amazing treats and you're gonna phase them out, but whatever, whatever your cat or cats are most excited about. So uh, it could be liver, it could be the uh, bonito treats that are available. Uh, it could be uh, cheese, whatever it is that you think your cat would go crazy for. And put them in a food dispensing object, like a little ball with a hole in it, whatever you choose, and show your cat how to do it. And your cats, cats are really good at observational learning. They are. Which is kind of like, mm -hmm. they are. It's like monkey see, monkey do. Yep. Uh, uh, so human do, cats do. So roll it around, the amazing stuff comes out. And the cat will say, well, I can do that too. And they will try <laughs> to do that. And, and at first, just put it into the food dish. But then gradually add some kibble to it, if you're using kibble. I can tell you how to do this whole thing with moist food as well. But I'll start with kibble. And then gradually over time, further and further away from that food dish. And over time, down the hall, around the corner, cats like height. So put it up high somewhere. And what I hear about all the time is, well, what if only one cat is really more motivated to do this than, say, another cat? I say, you're only talking about 15 or 20% of the food. So it's not really going to change all that much what these individual cats are getting. What I still don't want people to do though is free feeding, leaving out food all the time. Because then what cats do, or dogs, but cats in particular, they train people to give them more food. So you don't know how much which cat has gotten anyway that way. If you if you're, we're talking about more than one cat, most people do have 2.3 cats. That's the average in America. So if that's the case, and the cat's going, row, 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 
and you look at it, and oh yeah, it's I need to fill it more, and then I need to fill it more, and, I, and meanwhile, at least one of those cats typically is getting wider and wider and wider, and you don't know why, and that's a real problem. It truly is. The other thing about using height is cats love it and and need it. I would argue it should be. I don't know how political you are, but my hope is that after this conversation, you go to the governor of your state and say, I need a proclamation that all indoor cats need somewhere to climb because it should be a law and they should have more than one place to climb. Actually, those places can be great for snoozing or feeding, feeding because that way cats don't. So let's look at those outdoor cats. Unlike wolves, they don't eat in groups. Unlike lions, they don't eat in groups. They eat individually. Oh, sure, a, a mother cat or a queen will eat with its kittens. Sometimes associated siblings, even into adulthood, will eat together, but that's rare. Cats like to eat alone. They're not like people. We like, I know you like, you go out to eat with that Italian restaurant, and there you are, uh, and you're with six of your friends, and you're talking, and you're, Cats don't do that. They don't even <laughs> like that. So it, it can cause anxiety for cats. And it's amazing that cats have adapted the way they have to the way we want them to eat. So actually, the thing that I'm talking about is preferential to cats. So what people will find over time is that one cat will prefer looking for and maybe finding that unexpected food I'm talking about in one place. But the other cat is off somewhere else you know, doing the same thing because they don't want that. They don't want the conflict as well. And feeding them, by the way, out of one bowl can cause not only anxiety, but a intercat aggression issue as well over time. Anyway, the cats should have height. Cats that don't feel comfortable in their environment seem to gain confidence by it. Cats that are confident, then, oh, I am watching over my kingdom. And it, it gives them, apparently, this feeling of comfort. But regardless of the reasons why, as I try to anthropomorphize as to the reasons why, although some studies have been done about this, and it turns out that we know that cats benefit by having places using vertical space. Absolutely. Expands the square footage in the home, as you said, gives them that great vantage point. And I love love that idea of that, that spot where they can rest and survey the surroundings, but also getting that way to eat their food in a, in a different way that does enrich their brain. And, you know, it was interesting as you were talking about how, how cats eat. And it made, made me think of my brother, Lex, who is... Oh, he the, eats like a cat? <laughs> Uh, well, Lex is very talented. He's a great cook. I am uh, domestically challenged myself. I'm a horrible cook. So, but Lex loves his kitties. He has two cats, Octo and Bubbles. And as you were mentioning this part of, of cats liking to eat alone, interesting thing with his cats, they're, they're little besties. It's always, you know, it's always ideal when you can get cats that, that kind of grew up together. And one was a little foster kitten that the mom took in and let nurse with alongside her other kittens and and he adopted two from that that um from that litter including the one that was that little foster kitty and and took him to his place in portland and as he started to bring in different types of food food puzzles and different challenges one of them was this it looked almost like an upside down like almost like a, a water tank like like you know you're you're gonna go um 
uh, to, you know, to go get some water there in the office. It looked like that, but there were different holes so the cats could put their paws in and then sink the kibble down to the bottom. And his cats had quite the teamwork going on because Bubbles, um, my dad likes to call her Blubbles because uh, she, she's, she has a little bit of extra blubber on her for sure. She's gotten better, but at the time there was an issue because Octo loved to be able to paw and bring all the food down. It was like for him, it, I think it was definitely more of like that brain game, that fun challenge. It wasn't so much about the food, but for, for uh, Bubbles, oh my gosh, she, she'd just be down at the, at the bottom waiting for the food to fall and she'd be eating. So it, it, there was some teamwork going on there. Um, but so can, can you explain for everyone listening, there's a thing called contra freeloading. And oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. yes. Can, you, can you explain how that, how that works, um, how that impacts dogs versus cats, and also like why why that does impact how we should feed our pets? Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I, I When I heard about this concept, I was blown away. So now I speak about enrichment. As I said earlier, people generally know what I'm talking about. If I'm talking to pet parents, pet parents generally know the term and they kind of get the feel for what I'm talking about. However, here's a new one, and it's called contra freeloading. And the concept is that animals, if given a choice, would rather work for their food. Now, this is everything contradictory to what I learned back in biology when I learned that the least amount of work animals can do and save that work wild animals, the more likely they are to do that. They're not going to work for food if it's presented to them. However, zoos, again, we begin with zoos, figured out years ago that these animals, everything from black bears to elephants, and I don't want to talk about the right or wrong of elephants being kept in zoos, that's another topic, uh, to primates, turned out to rather work for their food. So here's an example, and it's a Chicago example, actually. Uh, Barbary apes that aren't even really apes, they're kind of monkey, at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Uh, there's a log in the zoo. It's not a real log. It's one of those artificial, because over time a real log wouldn't last. And there's holes in it that were drilled. And in those holes that are drilled, uh, condiments are deposited every day. It can be ketchup or mustard or barbecue sauce or hot sauce that isn't that hot, uh, whatever, a variety of condiments. And just like you see in the Jane Goodall specials, they learned on their own, they weren't watching TV, I don't believe Jane Goodall was there to show them, to pick up a stick or straw in the environment and use it, or if not, use their own fingers to poke it in the hole, the condiment of their choice. Part of enrichment here is about choice and, and, and figure out which one they want and kind of work for their food. Another example, and they prefer doing that. If it's, if it's, so I've got a wonderful video of meerkats at a zoo. And if you can imagine three long boxes together and inside these three long boxes with holes on the sides that the meerkats and if people don't know, they're kind of like ferret-like in the way they look. They're not related to ferrets, but just to give you the idea. 
There's these, and they're from Africa. These, what what movie were the was the Meerkat in? The Lion King, right? Yes, and then there's the the show Meerkat Manor too. Yep, um, uh, Timon from uh, Timon and Pumbaa, the the warthog, and Timon was the yeah the little the little cute guy. We always said actually he looks just like my brother Lex. So speaking of Lex earlier, <laughs> we always called him a Meerkat. Why does he always come up? I don't quite understand this. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so so so. Uh, and I don't know these things. I don't have kids. But I do know about the mirror. So imagine all these long boxes. There's food inside. Nothing special what they typically eat. On the outside, in aluminum foil pans, is the same food. On the inside, they have to work through a maze to get it. On the outside, it's there. It's right in front of them. They don't even need a bib. All they have to do is look at it and scarf it down. The video shows how each and every Meerkat ignores the food on the outside, it is somehow more interesting to go through this tunnel to get at the food inside these boxes. These are just two examples. And studies that have been done, scientific studies, to demonstrate that many species actually prefer to contra-free load or work for their meal. Do cats do dogs? Uh, there's a study that showed actually cats did not, a fairly recent study. But what the researcher agreed with when I challenged her, so to speak, in a nice way, she's a wonderful researcher. But when, when I talked to her about it, she admitted what I'm about to say is true. We've known actually the cat's contra free load for decades. Because if you have an indoor cat that goes out, how often does that cat catch something, work for the meal, say a bird, and bring it back alive not even kill it, just for the, quote, pleasure, I don't know what these cats are thinking, of doing that. Maybe they're bringing a gift back, as people say, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's contra freeloading. I love and, that. And, and, and we do believe that dogs do that. And I've seen that in one, it's just my own example, but in our elderly cat, who's since passed away, but I would give her and I video of this, the, a little treat ball with just her kibble in it and a pile of food. Even at the age of up to about 16 or 17, when her arthritis was just getting really bad, but even up to about that age, she'd rather, her choice, the food is sitting right there. You can't call, call me cruel for putting it in there, but she would rather roll around that treat ball. The concept of contra freeloading to me is yet another indicator that we need to enrich the environments and enrich the way, included among that, enrich the way we feed our dogs and cats. We also know that there's a downside, a health risk by not enriching. So I was talking 4,000 years ago, as I've said, about enrichment at veterinary conferences and all the rest. I really didn't have a lot of science. Then Dr. Tony Buffington came along and proved that Cats with feline lower, idiopathic feline lower urinary tract disease, now called Pandora's syndrome, one of the reasons cats will urinate outside the litter box. There are many reasons for that. There's one of the reasons. Those cats actually were, quote, cured, not with all these drugs that had been tried in the past, but instead by enriching their environment. Amazing because it de-stressed the cats. And what we now know is these cats were suffering 
from fear, anxiety, and stress just because, and I would argue many millions of cats, you love people listening to this who love their cats and dogs. You wouldn't be listening to this. Who would be listening to Mikkel Becker and Steve Dale, especially Steve, go on yada, 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 yada forever if they didn't really love their animals? You'd have to be crazy. So clearly, all of you love your animals, but yet, probably many of you aren't enriching environments. And what we now know for cats in particular, but dogs too, there is a medical price to pay for it as a result. And with dogs and cats, and dogs we know more than cats on this end, is that learning throughout life, dogs have been used as a, uh, a subject to study human Alzheimer's. And we know that for the same reason that crossword puzzles are done by people that are 183 years old and they're taught computer skills they didn't previously have, you know, people like your older brothers, people like that, that are very elderly. Uh, and they're always taught things, right? And the reason is we study dogs and dogs that learn throughout life, it seemed to either fend off, delay the onset of, or even prevent cognitive dysfunction or in human Alzheimer's later in life. If that's true in humans and dogs, I'd argue it's probably true in cats as well. So learning throughout life is helpful. The problem with cats is we tend not to teach them anything. So I am a huge believer in training your cat. And, and for years, and I still get pushback on this, for years, people would say, what? You can't do that. You can't train a cat. They could train you, maybe, but you can't train a cat. Well, now I don't get pushback on that, but I get, do get this. Why would you bother training a cat? And I think there are so many reasons to do this. And one is it's activating those brain cells. If cats are about as smart or smarter than dogs, and I ask this all the time at conferences, what, hey, what do you think, Mikkel? Are they uh, as smart as dogs? Are they smarter than dogs? Are they about the same? I would say that in a lot of ways, cats can be smarter than dogs in terms of like, it takes even fewer repetitions for them to learn a new behavior. They retain it throughout their lifetime. As, as you mentioned earlier, that mimicry, they will just watch a person, watch another animal. And it's almost like you see it, you know, anthropomorphizing this, but you almost see like, oh, hey, I can do that even better than you yeah. can. Yeah. And then they go, <laughs> yeah. and then they go do it. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. It's, but even if they're in the same, I agree with you, but even if they're in the same league, why wouldn't we teach dogs stuff? That's because they have to be social and go out with us. But why don't we teach cats things? And, and I think we should. In fact, I'm about to do a video. I'm catching up on my videos. So for those of you on TikTok, go to, it's our new kitten, go to I, Groucho. I you did. So yeah. go to Groucho underscore the funny cat at Groucho underscore the funny cat, and you'll see these videos. And one of them, uh, I'm, I don't know if you're sitting down, Mikhail, but please do sit down because this will be amazing. I have taught Groucho to come when called. Ooh. And Groucho's just a little kitten. You know, it's, it's important not only for safety, in case there's a problem, like, I don't know, there's a, I have to evacuate the house for some reason, right? And instead of running around chasing this cat with a carrier, comes to me. That's much better. But also, I think it enhances the human-animal bond. 
And because Groucho's still a kitten, at times I just want to know where the heck he is so he's not getting into trouble. So calling him to me is a whole lot easier for lazy me than to run around the house looking for him. So there are so many advantages to, to do this. Uh, it's a very simple thing to do. How, how do you do it? So what I did is I took treats and I shook the treats. It's Pavlov. <laughs> I took the treats and I was right there. Groucho was like a foot from me. So Groucho really didn't have to come. I called his name and I dropped the tree. Called his name, dropped the tree, called his name. Then I was further and further and further away. And eventually to the point where Groucho's half asleep up in the cat tree and I can call his name three rooms away and he will, well, wake up first. That takes <laughs> a while, but eventually he comes running down the hall. Yes, yes. That, it's such a cat thing. It's like, it's almost like, I always think of like, almost like the lions out there in the wild. It's like, okay, ooh, stretching, licking, and then, oh, okay, okay, I guess, I guess I'll get up and then I, yeah, go about my day. Yeah, he looks at his watch first. So a couple of questions that I have for you. So when yes. we were ta talking about the, the dangers of having a cat that goes both indoors and outdoors, can, can you speak to to what the problems are with that. And as, as like an alternative, how can we turn a cat's home space into that type of area that they want to live in so that we can tamper some of that frustration that they may feel of not being able to go outside? Well, a cat that's never been outside rarely has the frustration of not going outside, just has the frustration of not being able to explore on the other end of a door. So whether it's a closet, a back hallway, if you live in an apartment or condo, any door, the cat wants to be on the other end of it, right? Uh, that's, that's, yeah, so that's sort of another issue. Um, you know, the thing that I would like to, to talk about as well is the fact that, and it's a trend today that I love. I love it. So uh, I will tell you this story, if it's only between us. So years ago, I was one of those crazy people that got a kitten stroller. And oh, I it looks, love it. It's, well, it looks kind of like a baby stroller and it's for kittens. So we're walking down the street and at the time we had two dogs and my wife is with me and I'm pushing a, a kitten. And this was before, now everybody does it, it seems, but this was years ago. And I'm walking down the street and this woman looks at us. Well, first of all, I'm talking to my wife. And I'm walking down the street, she's got the two dogs, I'm pushing the stroller, and I'm telling her something, I don't remember what, it was too long ago. And I look, and she's like 40 feet in back of me. She did not want to even be seen with me. But anyway, <laughs> she, she finally, you know, so we're talking, and this woman comes up to us and looks and looks and looks inside the stroller, because she was expecting a baby, but kind uh -huh. of wasn't, because it doesn't look like a baby stroller, but it kind of does. And she's looking and she said, that's a cat. And I said, yeah. <laughs> And she said, what's a cat doing in there? I said, well, this way we kind of go on a walk as an entire family. We take the cat with us, cat gets fresh air. It's mm -hmm. very safe for the cat. She shakes her head like, you know, back and forth like we're crazy. <laughs> a week goes by, I'm walking down the street with our dogs and the stroller comes toward me and the same exact stroller, same exact stroller that we have comes toward me and I'm looking and I'm looking and I see the lady pushing it is the same lady who was shaking her head at me. And she had a beautiful Persian cat inside her stroller. 
Uh, and I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. She was like embarrassed to see me. <laughs> I, started, I started a trend in the I neighborhood. I love it. And I, I think this is a great thing for people to do. It's not for every cat. And for a cat that's been indoors 17 years, maybe this would not be a good idea. The other thing are catios. Everybody's doing it. They're creating patios for cats called catios. And I love that as long as it's truly a protected area. Lanai's surrounded by cat fencing. There is such a thing. So birds of prey or fox or coyotes can't get, or other stray cats cannot get in and your cat can't get out. I love all of these ideas so the cat can get fresh air in a very safe way. But if you do this, and I want people to do it, if you do this, make sure the cat enjoys it. But moreover, I'm always a proponent of protecting cats against heartworm as well as fleas and ticks because all of that can happen indoors only. But certainly if the cat is outdoors, that cat is really susceptible. So I do say protect your cat against heartworm as well as fleas and ticks and talk to your veterinarian about the best way to do that. So other ways that we can make the indoor interesting. Oh, there are so many. How about, uh, do you ever get UPS deliveries or FedEx? Oh, all the time. Definitely an Amazon Who girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who does? Right. So take one of the boxes. The boxes really weren't made for what's ever in it. It was made for cats. So take one of those boxes and put it in the middle of a room. Pick a room, any room. Cat will jump inside. And now it's like, wow, this is a cool thing. And that's, a, again, a subtle way of changing the environment that is not only not going to upset the overwhelming majority of cats, but will find interesting, actually. So what do you do after Monday? If it's Monday that you get the, well, turn the box upside down and poke a hole in the side and maybe drop some treats in there. On Wednesday, do the same thing, but drop something else in there, catnip maybe. Uh, you can go old school and do that, or different treats. Uh, Thursday, Wednesday, whatever day we're on, move the box into another room. It becomes a totally different toy because it's in another room. What's that? I've never seen that before. So there are all, you have, you have a, 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 a child, right? Mm-hmm, yep, Reagan, she's 12. Reagan, right? So Reagan may, uh, so I'm about to give advice that Reagan will roll her eyes at because say, I'm too old to do this and maybe she would be, but to color that box, so, or, or, or do something to make it that cat. If your cat's name is Daisy, put a little Daisy on it and say, write Daisy on it. You know, so get the kids involved is what I'm saying, you know, or put two boxes together. And now it becomes a little tunnel if there's an opening on the other end. I mean, there are all sorts of creative things we can do. And nothing I have said so far cost anything, which is the best thing about it. Because uh, as people know, I can be cheap. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I actually brought a bunch of cat stuff to my brother. Speaking of Lex again, I, he does come up a lot in our conversation. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so his cats, Octo and Bubbles, I, as their, their cat aunt, I had to bring him a bunch of goodies. And the funny thing was, uh, Octo, of course, liked the, the cloth bag the most. That was his favorite toy, which was not supposed to be a toy. But yeah, exactly. It's funny how, yeah, sometimes like the best enrichment is just the stuff that we already have lying around. So. And what did Lex like the most? 
<clears throat> he liked, uh, there was a hanging bed that looked really beautiful and it was very like ornate looking. And I had gotten it for, for Milo and my brother is definitely, he's like a gardener. He has a green thumb. He has all of those domesticated talents that I, I'm lacking. And so it was like, oh, that's going to look so cool in, in his apartment. So I brought it over for him, for his cats. And uh, cats weren't as, as keen on it, uh, but Lex likes it because now he's going to put his, his plants in there and has all kinds of cool ideas. And of course, the cats, they, they I think their favorite toy was they, they like the the dub bird is like probably one of my favorite toys for cats. And there is one that sure. is, is a little mouse. And I think that one was a big winner because there are certain toys, you know, when you're talking about toys, certain toys move better than other toys, I've found. Well, right. I agree with you. And what works for one cat doesn't work for another. And consider the age and the size of the cat. So I remember going to someone's house who said, I don't understand it. I got this toy for the cat and the cat doesn't like it. It's a, it's a mouse toy. Well, I swear this thing was bigger than a rat. It was huge. <laughs> and it was half the size of a cat. And I was afraid of it, you know? So choose the right toy. And different cats, just like we have our preferences, just like dogs, by the way, have their preferences. Some dogs love a Frisbee. Others say, I, what is that thing? I, but a tennis ball, I'm all over it. The same thing with cats. They have their individual preferences. So Steve, lastly, when you were talking about taking your dog on a walk, like, how would you make this doable for someone? So someone, they, you know, have their family, they have their outside commitments, they have, you know, their work, everything going on. Like, how can they make it doable to, to take their dog out or to add in that enrichment into their dog's day in a way that will work for their dog and really work within their lifestyle as well? Yeah, ideally the best time to do it would be before work because that way your dog has had, you know, because in, a walk for a dog isn't only physical exercise. To some extent, if you're truly going on a walk, it's mental exercise. And it's the social event, of, unless you live out in the middle of nowhere, of, of meeting other dogs and other people. Uh, so ideally, before work is best. Also, then you've got maybe not an exhausted dog, but a somewhat tired dog, which is the best way to leave a dog if you're going to leave the dog for seven or eight hours or however long you're gone. So that would be ideal. Having said that, I get it. If you don't want to get up at five in the morning or need to get up early to do that, I understand. The other problem with that can be is, okay, now the dog is peeing and pooping even earlier. So that means you have to get home earlier on the other end, potentially. Uh, so I, I get that, but you know, that would be the ideal would be to go early. But to try to find time once a day or at least three or four times a week out of the seven days two days out of the weekend, you know, so you have, you know, where you can at least do that for the dog and with the dog. How long would you recommend walks be? I know that's probably different for every person, every pet, but I, I, I feel like sometimes there's that misconception that it has to be like a real, it's, you know, the way that you're explaining it, it's really about the quality of the walk rather than the quantity of the walk. So it's less about the distance that you're going. Like, how, like can you give kind of a good guideline for people to go on? Well, it depends on the age of the dog, too, of course, as you mentioned, you know, so if you have a 15 year old dog who's a larger dog that's 15, you can't even even if you want to, the dog isn't able to, nor should the dog be pushed to go on a particularly long walk. So part of it depends on the physical ability of the dog uh, and the weather outside. Of course, if it's raining, you don't want to do that either. 
Uh, and what's more, if it's hot outside and you have a brachycephalic breed, like, you know, one of those dogs with a pushed-in nose, like a bulldog or a French bulldog, for example, they're going to have difficulty going on a longer walk. You know, so it a lot depends. Uh, I, so I don't know that I can give a time per se. I mean, but ideally in my head, it's 30 minutes. So it isn't, you know, a 10-minute walk isn't going to do it. But there are exceptions to that, and a 10-minute walk is still better than no walk at all. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think it takes away that misconception that it has to be like an hour long or two hours. Like, just certain what you can fit in there. And I yeah, love, yeah. love the idea of, have you heard of Sniff Spot? Uh, are you referring to a problem I have? <laughs> So sniff spot, it's no, almost like, I, like, no. it's almost like an Airbnb. Um, but what it is, is you rent out just private spaces to take your dog for some off leash freedom. So oh. for those dogs that aren't great, uh, going to the dog park with other dogs, I know that there are lots of concerns sometimes for those pets that, and we don't always know how social the other dogs are. You can actually go to sniff spot and get a little spot for your dog. I know that there are some favorites of some of my clients who have some reactive dogs that they get to go let their dog off leash, sure. play some off leash games, just go explore with them. So I mean, there are so many ways that we can offer that off leash freedom in a way that, that still keeps our pets safe. I agree. I, I had not heard of that, but it sounds great. So, so Steve, what are some final words of advice if you could leave any of the listeners with just one piece that they're going to take home for their dog, for their cat, what would it be? Enrich the environment as much as you can because it truly is important, not only for your dog's uh, physical well-being, which it is a uh, factor in, uh, but most importantly, the dog's mental well-being. And if you follow uh, Fear Free at all, fearfreehappyhomes.com, uh, if you follow Mikkel Becker or myself, uh, you know that emotional health is just as important. And we now know through study after study after study, and we've talked about some of that, that it truly is hugely beneficial. No, I'm wrong. It's actually necessary, not beneficial. It's necessary that we enrich the lives of all of our companion animals. We talked about dogs and cats, I'd say for pet birds, it's hugely, hugely important. And in ways we don't even understand how to do this yet for gerbils and hamsters and, and uh, ferrets and all sorts of other animals as well. But we do know how to do this at least greatly for dogs and cats, and we need to. I, I love that, Steve, and thank you. You inspired me. I have a, a puggle, Indiana Bones, so part pug, part beagle, and he definitely loves to use his nose, so I'm gonna use your tip on teaching him to find my keys, or for me, maybe it'll actually be my cell phone. I seem to misplace it all the time, so I can teach him how to sniff that out and uh, save myself a lot of heartache and, and stress and make life even more fun for him. So I love that idea. Fun for him and less anxious for you. I have the yeah. same issue. I've got mine right here now, but check in five minutes, I may not. Exactly. So that that's a good way to enrich both of our lives through Fear Free. Exactly. So. <laughs> yes. 
th thank you so much, Steve. You've been such a great friend for so many years and it's just such a gift. I love talking with you every time. So we'd love to have you back. And for anyone listening, you can also listen to Steve. You, you have a national radio show. You have a podcast on for fear-free professionals that you can listen into. And I, I would beg to say that it's something that even just a, a pet guardian would, would really love listening to. I'm always learning, listening to that and have directed a lot of people to listen in. So is there anything else? I, following Groucho, your cat on TikTok. Yeah, anything, thank you. Yeah, anything else, me, Steve? Yeah, you can have me back, you can have me front, whatever you want. At uh, TikTok, it's Groucho underscore the funny cat. Uh, and my website is stevedale.tv. Mikkel, you know, you know I always love talking with you, uh, especially if we're talking behind your brother's back. That's fine. Yes, absolutely. And he gets to listen in as the producer, but he can't say anything. So that's always nice. Yeah, that's why I like, freedom. I, like, I, I like producers for that very reason. <laughs> that's awesome. Th th thank you, Steve. Sending you a big air hug from Washington over there to thank Chicago you. and hope to talk to you again soon. Same back at you. Thank you, Mikkel. Yep, bye, my friend. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws, and we hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pet. Our next episode will be a special one, focusing on the pet situation in the Ukrainian refugee crisis. The fear-free work Dr. Marty Becker and special guests Alexander Sava and Eli Frankovich did to help keep conflict refugees' animals safe and fear-free, as well as ways that you can help. Make sure you're subscribed to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.